recording. Um, how you doing today? I am well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Definitely. Um, really appreciate you for taking time out coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, for the people on my platform that don't know, you could tell them like about what you're doing about your brand a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Mercy A. Quay. I'm an entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of The Narrative Project. Uh, we are Connecticut's only anti-racist public relations agency. We are proposing a model of anti-racist public relations for the industry of public relations that doesn't exist in the industry so far. And so the work that we do is around communications, messaging, um, social media for mission-driven organizations and nonprofits. Super fire. And um, you also a part of uh, CT Mirror, right? I am. I am the editor of the community editorial board. Um, and uh, in that sphere, I bring in individuals from various communities to really give us opinions on uh, the things that they are experts in, whether that is lived experience or learned experience, whether you grew up knowing these things because you are someone who lived in a neighborhood that was impacted by the issues you're talking about, or you're someone who went to school for, you know, uh, environmental justice, right? It, we are bringing people who, who would otherwise not have access to a platform to really get their opinions out. We're giving them access to that exact kind of platform. And so for us, it is a project to really bring diverse voices to the pages of our publication. Right, so far you're doing a whole lot too. Yeah, yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> and you're, um, you're in the New Haven area, right? I am. Our offices of the Narrative Project are right downtown on Temple Street. And, you know, I have a staff of about 25 people who are who come from journalism, who come from uh, podcasting, who come from all sorts of walks of life, who come together in, uh, and are lending their skill set, videography, photography, graphic design, that kind of thing, are lending their skill set for good. And, and I'm really appreciative of that kind of work. And we're in the heart of downtown New Haven. Superfire. And, um, you know, that's a blessing to have that space. How does it feel to be a part of that space that you created? You know, sometimes I kind of look back and I look at the team and I, I see that, like, I get to do things like go on vacation now and the business runs itself. And that's that's a cool feeling. And I get to be in spaces with the team and just watch them take ownership as ambassadors of the brand and really, you know, take on uh, the name, the narrative project as their full identities. And that feels really good because it means that there's buy-in from the people who have joined the journey with us. And that's a really cool thing to like live in and experience. You know, we just had a staff retreat, a two-day staff retreat up in Massachusetts. And it was at a retreat center off the grid, right? Where we were in close quarters with each other, getting to learn more about each other, anti-racist training, company planning, um, strategy, tactics, things like that, really diving into the work. And it really is just opportunity to kind of break bread with the team members, learn a little bit more about each of them, and then come back to the work refreshed and ready to go. Right, super fire. Um, that's your office right there? This is my office, yeah. Nice, big office. Thank you. I'm. This is this is my office. Like I said, I'm. I'm actually right upstairs from Metcha. So if you are at Metcha and you open your Wi-Fi settings, you'll probably see the Narrative Project guest Wi-Fi. <laughs> Super fire. And um, you know, 
being part like from New Haven and that area, doing everything you're doing. Um, what was it that sparked you to want to do that? A couple things. Um, you know, I had been in journalism and communications for a number of years, and I had seen a need to have public relations be uh, community informed. And for me, I think when we are putting together communications campaigns and public relations campaigns, if they are community informed, they are uh, anti-racist almost innately, right? There is a way that if you do not speak for a people, but instead you allow a people to speak for themselves, there is a way that we can ensure that our practices are more just. And so I saw this opportunity in 2015 to create a model for anti-racist public relations where we are not speaking for people or to a people, but instead with the people um, and equipping them to speak for themselves. And um, there for me ended up being that piece. But then the other piece was I wanted to create a really great workplace, right? I had worked at places that literally drove me crazy. I worked at places that gave me depression, that gave me anxiety and all these other things. And it was just, you know, I wanted to create a workplace where people felt good about coming to work and they felt good about the places where they were um, spending eight hours a day, right? And so for me, the narrative project is two things. We are practicing good inside and out. Right, so how do we create an anti-racist workplace and an anti-racist work product? And so for us, it's twofold, and I've been really excited to see how that work uh, has unfolded. Right, that's super fire. How old are you? I am in my thirties. Thirties, okay, same age. Yeah, likely. <laughs> super dope. Um, you do this full time, or you have a job too? This is my full time work. That's fire, super fire. Yeah. And like I said, you know, we have a staff of 25 people who are all just about 25 people who are all full time salaried benefits. Um, we offer unlimited uh, time off and all major holidays. And so for us, it really is just a place where someone can come and feel psychologically safe to be their full selves at work. That's fire. Big things. If anybody, um, was interested of like working for you, how would they apply go about that? Yeah, you can um, go onto the website, uh, narrativeproject.com and we have a section uh, for careers and you can see the careers that are open at the moment. And you do the hiring or you have somebody else? I, so I don't do the hiring personally. Um, I have a director of talent in and partner relations who does the hiring. Actually right now, today she's in office doing onboarding for two new hires that we just brought on. Um, what's some advice you could give to somebody who would like to start something like what you're doing? I would say be patient and stick with it because your first year, your first two years, your first three years might not pan out to be the way that you want it to be. Um, and you really have to understand the balance between um, am I making it right now or am I investing in my future, right? That first, the first couple years of, of the narrative project, 
right? If I started the narrative project in, in 2015, I didn't bring on my first staff member until 2019, right? And so, and I didn't grow to 25 people until last year. And so it, it is a work in progress. You have to stick with it. Build out the things you want to build out, right? Like take the time and really understand the kind of company you want to build for yourself and for your employees. The first thing that I started with, with it was a handbook. I said, what is the what are the policies we're going to want as a company? What kind of company do I want people to work at? So I built out the handbook first and then everything else came after. I knew what we were going to be selling as our service. I knew what we were going to be selling, but I didn't know what kind of company I wanted to be. And so I built out that handbook first. And so I would say, you can take that approach. Um, and I would also say, you know, if folks have a side gig, a side hustle that they want to make their main gig, then there's a way to do that slowly where you go part-time at your, at your full-time job and you increase your hours at your, uh, your, the thing that you want to be your main gig, right? And really just transition as much as possible. There's a way to give yourself grace when you fail, because every failure is a learning opportunity. And I really want people to understand that every single time you fail, like if something doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out, it is a learning opportunity. And so um, I encourage people to take the opportunities for to seize each of those learning opportunities, learn something new about themselves, learn something new about the work, learn something new about the people that they're serving and really take all those lessons and put it back into the business. Right, real good advice. Um, what's a few things that you did um, during those times where, you know, may feel discouraged or it's not going the right way? And how do you do, what did you do to keep going? Yeah, I think sometimes you have to practice a combination of things. The first thing that I would say is self-soothing, right? It, it, it sounds crazy, but and it sounds like something we do for toddlers. Oh, he's crying, he needs to learn how to self-soothe. But these are practices that as an adult, you can get really used to because, or it, it, it benefits you to get really used to it. And the reason I say that is this, as adults, we are trained, we are conditioned to seek outside validation right? Like, did I do this well? Is this okay? Are they, am I getting a congratulations? And is someone patting me on the back for the good work I'm doing? And we learn that through school, through grading. We learn that through looking for extra credit. We learn that through trophies, participation trophies. Everyone gets a participation trophy, right? That kind of thing. So for me, we, we learn these things that, that tell us that validation needs to come from outside of ourselves. And to some degree, it's good to have some external validation, but what we also need to learn is that internal validation is as important. We need to be our biggest hype man and we need to internalize the lessons of, okay, I failed today. I'm gonna take the lesson of that failure, apply it to tomorrow and be better, right? If you are able to self-soothe in your failure, then it means you're unstoppable. It means that no one, that even when all your cheerleaders are taking a break from you, have decided to turn their backs on you or are focused on their own things. No, no judgment, no hard feelings, but just focus on their own things. You still have, you still are your number one cheerleader and you still have yourself to rely on to be your own motivation and discipline. 
right, right. Fire, good advice. Yeah. Um, what's a few things that you haven't done yet that you want to do with your brand? So what's really interesting, and I've said this to a number of organizations already, um, and it's out there in the press, you know, the narrative project right now is only in Connecticut. We're planning on expanding to DC, LA, and Chicago. I keep speaking that out everywhere I am because I'm speaking it into existence and that's where the work is going to take us. I haven't done that yet, right? We, uh, so we wanna be in DC, LA, and Chicago in 10 years. We made that announcement in 2022. And so by 2032, we are hoping to be in four different locations. Right, I can see it, that's gonna happen. Thank you. I appreciate it. Crossing my fingers. <laughs> um, I see you got like a good drive. Um, did you always have like ambition and drive or is that something you had to build and work on? You know, I was always an outgoing kid. And the thing about me was I always knew I wanted to be a reporter. From the time that I was five years old, I knew that I wanted to be a reporter. And inside doing that, it was really easy to it was really easy to know exactly what my path was going to be. Okay, so my path, if I wanna be a reporter, I have to uh, take journalism classes in middle school and then be on the journalism department in high school, be, become the literary editor for the editor for my literary high school, uh, the editor for my literary magazine in high school. Then I needed to make, go to a college where I could major in journalism and get a certain GPA, get on the Dean's list, have an internship, meet people, do the things. And I did all of those things on a very steady path. And then I became a journalist. I became a reporter. At the time of becoming a reporter, I realized, okay, well, you know, my student, my university cost me 64,000 a year, but my first job out of college as a reporter offered me 28,000 a year. How am I gonna make that work? How, right? And so I needed to make a switch and that's where public relations came in. But for me, I always knew what my path was going to be. And because I knew that I was going to be a reporter and I knew that took poise and I knew that that took energy and I knew that that took char charisma, I was willing and able to, and almost had this, I'll say natural inclination to some of these attributes, right? Like I was willing to be a talker. I already was a talker at five years old. And that just continued to be honed in and processed through the rest of my uh, education and career. Wow, and you said you started in middle school, like with the journalism? Yeah, even earlier, I started at five. I started at five, I started writing articles at five. My grandparents got me a little tape recorder with the microphone on it. And I started going around and interviewing people and then watching the news, reading the newspapers, things like that. Wow, that's, that's real young. That's real, it's very young. A lot of people don't know what they wanna be by, you know, when they're five years old. But by the time I was five, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. And, you know, uh, there were there were big stories in the 90s that I was covering on my own, right? Like I, when I say covering on my own, I mean getting all the information and then writing my own stories about it. So, you know, the Clinton sex scandal, I remember writing my own story about the Clinton sex scandal and, and asking my grandfather, can I say sex? And he was like, if, if, if it's about the story, if it's in the story, then you can say it. And, Really, my grandfather had this way of telling me that if you want to understand the people, you have to understand their news. And so I would consume news from different places, 
my family was from Buford, Buford, South Carolina. So I would consume news from Buford, South Carolina, and we would get the newspapers from different places. New York Times, um, the Boston Globe, and all these different places. And so it, there was this way of, if I wanted to consume news, I had, if I wanted to produce news, I had to consume news. If I wanted to understand a people, I needed to understand their news. And so there were all these ways that I was consuming it from a very young age. Right, that's that's real cool. Wow. Mad young, five years old. Five years old, yep. <laughs> I got my interest in this, like, I'm 30 now. Well, I'm actually 31. Um, I want to say when I was, like, 23. Okay. Yeah. So, so... When they say that you become an expert after you have invested 10,000 hours into a singular thing, right? Um, and 10,000 hours, if you think about it, that could break down to 15 years, depending on if you're focused. That could break down to 10 years, depending on if you're focused, right? You can get 10,000 hours in five years if you're extremely focused. And so if you've been doing this for you know, eight years, then there's an opera. There is this way that, like, you are straight on your path to being an expert. Wow, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what's like the rewarding parts of what you do? You feel like? Yeah, I think people will say, "Oh, you're an entrepreneur. You can take off all the time that you want. Oh, you can do this. Oh, you can do that. You work for yourself. You're your own boss." I'm not my own boss, right? I, my staff is the boss of me, <laughs> right? I, if I have a staff of 25 people, I've got 25 bosses that I look to, to let me know, listen, are, do you feel like you are being, um, you are being, are, you're included in the vision of the company? Do you feel like you're being led in the right direction, right? I am accountable to each of these people. And when we say boss, it is really easy to think of boss as someone who just bosses someone around. For me, I think that when we, when I think of boss, I think of leader, right? Who and how, who can be the leader of a space and how are they leading, right? And for me, the most rewarding part is being the leader of this organization to people who are all leaders in their own right. That's a good way. That's a better way to look at it too. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is, right? Because I, I want to enable everyone who works with me to understand themselves as a leader as well, right? You're, if you are, and this comes back to that idea of self-soothing, how can we build up your confidence enough that you don't need me to be the, the arbiter of your success? You can, you can be your own arbiter of success. I can, you know, help nurture your own identity as a leader in the space. Right, self-soothing. I'm about to get big on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Right. Um, how do you define professional success? Ooh, this is a good one, right? Because I think that a lot of people define success, professional success about like how much money am I making and how much time can I take off and all these different things. And that's cool if that's what makes you happy. But for me, around 27 years old, I started thinking about, I started being really burnt out. Uh, like I started getting really burnt out and I, I was at the top of my game, right? I was 
you know, very recently the director of communications for the state's second largest school district. I was, um, you know, I had been the uh, managing director of external affairs for the Connecticut branch of Educators for Excellence. I had done these things. I, I had launched campaigns and done all these things and it was really great, but I was burnt out and I wasn't happy. And so for me, when I define professional success, I actually define it as what are the things that you can do for, for your livelihood that also balances your happiness. And that's a balance that I take really seriously these days, right? Because if, if it's hard to wake up in the morning, then what are you living for, right? And so for me, professional success isn't just about how much money you make. It's not about how much award, how many awards you have on your wall, right? Like it is about how happy you are to get up each morning and do the thing you wanna do. No one could know your name. You could have no reward uh, awards. You could have no letters behind your name. But if you're happy waking up and doing what you want to do every single day because you're a landscaper, you you are a moving company, you are a handyman, whatever it is. If you wake up in the morning, all your bills are paid, right? Your family is fed. You have a little extra play money you have some work-life balance and you enjoy doing what you like to do. And I'm sorry, you enjoy doing what you do every single day. That's professional success. Like that, I like that, fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because why do we, why else do we work, right? It, it, the idea of making a living, I'm already living. So the idea of making a living has always been strange to me. You shouldn't live to work. Right, like, and you shouldn't work to live. These things should should operate in harmony, right? I should be able to live the life I want, and my work should be supplemental to that. Right. So this is a fire podcast. I really appreciate you for doing this. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Right. Um, I got a couple more questions. Um, what habits have you really improved in your life? I think discipline, let's talk about the combination between discipline and motivation, right? <laughs> because people talk about, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not motivated to go to the gym. I'm not motivated to go to work. I'm not motivated to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not motivated to put my, my effort into building my brand. I'm not motivated or I lost my motivation. We talk a lot about motivation when we, when we get into these social, social spaces right, where we think that like, okay, well, what motivates you? What keeps you motivated? Sometimes motiva you, you're gonna wake up and you're not motivated. So right. I wanna talk about discipline, right? The difference between motivation and discipline, motivation is what happens when your discipline is there. But motivation isn't going to always wake up with you in the morning. Your discipline, right? We're talking about the difference between head and heart. Where your head is and where your heart is are different things. Um, your heart may be your motivation, right? The things that you're feeling during that day, the things that you are, you know, passionate about during that day. This morning, I might not be passionate about work, but my head, the things that I'm thinking, the things that I'm strategizing on, the things that I'm, um, I'm, I am working through, that's my discipline. That is the thing that says, all right, I might 
I might not show up 100% today, but you know what? Even if I show up at 75% today, that's discipline, right? And, and, and that's understanding that I'm not going to be passionate about, you know, you do podcasting. I might not be passionate about doing podcasting today, but I have the discipline to do so. And that's important, right? Because discipline is something that you work on. Discipline is something that you build. Motivation is something that transpires. Motivation is something that grows. Motivation is something that happens, right? Discipline is something that you build. Yeah, I, I got. I guess I'm. Um, I'm real good with the discipline. Oh, good, good. Because not everybody is good with discipline, right? Like we expect motivation to carry us on a day to day basis, and sometimes you're not gonna wake up with motivation. You just have to wake up with, all right, it's five. I woke up at five o'clock today. <laughs> right like all right it's five o'clock I don't want to get out of bed I don't want I want 15 more minutes of sleep but like if you're disciplined you know that you get more out of losing 15 more minutes in order to invest in yourself for the rest of the day right word for the rest of the year discipline exactly discipline so like um what's your daily routines like <laughs> Lots of people ask me this. I don't have a daily routine. I do not have a daily routine. And I like, and I really like talking to entrepreneurs who are like, oh yeah, my daily routine consists of me waking up at 5 a.m. every day. And I, I start my day with at, with uh, 45 minutes of cardio and two hours of did it. You don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't. Sometimes my daily routine looks like snoozing. <laughs> Sometimes my routine looks like, okay, I got up and and I checked email first thing in the morning. Sometimes it looks like walking my dog. Sometimes it looks like sitting in my backyard and, and meditating. Sometimes that looks like just figuring out what my day looks like and sitting quietly at my kitchen table with a latte or a cup of tea and just figuring out where I'm going to get my discipline from today, right? And so regardless, regardless of that motivation discipline balance that we talked about, Every single day, what I do, even if I'm not going to the gym, even if I'm not, right, like walking the dog, meditating, reading a book, I, I listen to the news, right? Because I, I want to be an active consumer of information. And so I listen to the news every single day for 15 minutes, at the very least. And I have transitioned over from being an active consumer of information to now I'm a passive consumer of information as well. And that passive consumption is important. That means that I'm listening to the news in the car, right? If it's the most important thing for me to do that day, I'm listening to it in the car. I'm listening to it when I'm at the office. It's just behind me playing, right? And then the active pieces, I'm seeking it out. But when it's just behind me playing, it means I'm learning new ways to speak because I'm listening to new people speak. It means I'm learning about the world because I'm, I'm, I'm consuming information about things going on in the world. It means I understand the most important news of the day as per that publication, right? And so it gives me new perspectives and it gives me an understanding of what are other people thinking about today? If I'm interacting with people and I and the first thing I learned when I turned on the news that morning was that, the, that another unarmed black man was shot and killed, then I know that people around me are thinking about this unarmed black person that was shot and killed, right? And it gives me a way to tap into what people are thinking about and are talking about. I saw you tweeted not too long ago. You said, 
why did my Twitter icon turn into an X this morning? And I really loved that tweet because it must have been after a weekend or something where, you know, the news of X uh, popping out, you hadn't consumed that news yet. It was new to you, right? For me, it's really important that like, whether it's the weekday or the weekend, I'm, I'm always consuming the news. I always know what's going on. So that, so I saw your, I saw your tweet and I was like, oh, mine hasn't updated yet. It's coming soon, right? Be, but I already knew that it was coming because I, because I was paying attention and I was listening to the news over the weekend. And, and that's my practice, right? My practice is trying to understand what people are thinking about. And the way that I do that is by listening to the news. Super. I think you might be a genius, though. <laughs> I'm not a genius. I'm just somebody who tries to think about things intentionally. Right. You know, um, I don't want to take too much of your time. I really appreciate you for coming on the podcast. Appreciate you for calling me. And we've been trying to get this on the schedule for a real long time. So I'm happy we've been able to. Right. Really appreciate it. Maybe we could do an in-person one soon. All right. Just let me know when. All right. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye.